the state of Tennessee is one of the few places where the sounds are just as breathtaking as the sights. Whether that's live music at an historic music venue, the crack of an open fire at a campsite in the wilderness, or hearing kids laugh as they explore what's right around the bend, Tennessee just sounds perfect. Start planning your trip at tnvacation.com. Tennessee sounds perfect. What's up? This your boy Lil Duval. And check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. Ridiculous History is a production of iHeartRadio. Welcome back to the show, Ridiculous Historians. Thank you, as always, so much for tuning in. Let's give an extra special couple of hands to our one and only super producer, Mr. Max Williams, who, hold the phone, also ran research on today's episode, Running Point. Thanks for wearing a couple different hats today, Max. Did you hear my one-handed clap, Max? I did, and I saw it, and I very much appreciate it. I know no one else can see it, but I saw it, and I, I very much it. appreciate it. No what does running interference mean? Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Running interference is a good thing if it's someone on your team. If it's oh, someone God, <laughs> on the other team, then they're they're interfering with you trying to get over on the other team. I wonder, I don't know, we'll get into it today, but it's just like, Curling seems to be largely like it's like the team versus the ice and the the stones. There's not really much interference running, is there? Well, we're about to find out. Uh, yeah, they call me Ben. You're Noel. Let let me tell you one thing about Max Williams. I was saying this off air about the guy earlier. He loves four things. I think we did the list right. Uh, model trains, curling, sports, and Star Trek. Right. That was the list we came up with. Those are the only things that Max likes. <laughs> the only things. Really, honestly, the only things. <laughs> Tolerate us. Sports is a pretty big Venn diagram, though. Or sure. like a big piece of the Venn. It's like, and got, I really like that you guys have curling and sports separate. And yeah, well, curling is not a sport. You know, curling, curling is, more a sport. Of a, is more of a hop. What? You're telling me, curl, are you serious? Well, Noel, you know, after today's episode, I think you might have a little bit of a different opinion about that. <laughs> 
Ooh, let's see. I know curling's a sport, I know, mm-hmm. but it wasn't adopted in the Olympics uh, until 1998, which I was not aware of. It's it's a relatively recent addition and has picked up a lot of steam. I think largely because it's so incomprehensible to the casual observer. Yeah, it's kind of like it's. It, I would put curling there with cricket. It's one of those. It's one of those sports that you can watch and not understand unless you are aware of the rules. Otherwise, a lot of the movements and strategies may not make a ton of sense. So with uh, being a curling newbie myself, uh, we're grateful for the chance to learn here and dive into some of the ridiculous history, they said it, surrounding this sport. And uh, Max, you had opened up with a great point about the Winter Olympics where he said, yes, they have some Pretty ridiculous sports, including stuff in the past like skijoring, which is you describe it as water skiing on snow with a horse instead of a boat. And then uh, you got a couple others here as well. Yeah, give it to us, Max. These were these were your finds. I was not aware of a single one of these, except maybe the skiing one with the gun. But I think I may have just seen that in a James Bond movie and sort of like uh, collated those two things into one. But I, I don't think they're related. I mean, I gotta, I gotta admit, like when it came to skiorging and bandy, I had never heard of these either. But uh, like, there's like banding, which is a, like weird. It's described as a weird hybrid of hockey and soccer on ice so it's like it's not it's like field hockey on ice that's what i've heard people say which it brings up the question it's like wouldn't field hockey on ice just be ice hockey but i i, I don't know <laughs> that's what it was described no but the weird one i found was ski ballet mm. it's like ballet while you're on skis like you're like putting your poles in the ground and doing flips and stuff i don't know it's really weird is it synchronized like swimming or is it more a lone wolf thing Ah, I think it's a lone wolf thing. It, it, I think it lasted to the 90s. I think it was in the Olympics in the 90s, but it's not around anymore. But, you know, we still have biathlon, a personal favorite of mine, where you're literally skiing across the country and then you stop to just shoot things. But like what, like targets or squirrels or like, you know, snowbirds? Okay. I mean, I think snowmen would be cool, but, you know. I said, I said snowbirds now, but snowmen would probably be less uh, gory. But yeah, I like that idea. Little snowmen kind of posing as like Nazi or something like that. Like that's where, I, again, I'm James Bonding in again. I'm right. James Bonding in again. We also did a pretty great episode about uh, skiing attacks. Uh, remember that heist? Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So I think that's where our minds are going. I'm conflating uh, several things right now. <laughs> oh, that's, I mean, that's True. great. That's, that's the, that's the result of our beautiful minds at play. Uh, Longtime ridiculous historians, you've probably heard ever since uh, Max joined us to class up the show, occasional references to his, uh, his love of and fascination with curling. To give you the long and short of this, there are two teams in every game. Each team has four players. They take turns throwing rocks down a long, thin sheet of ice. And then other people on their teams take these broom-ish tools and they start sweeping the ice. Uh, Max, you also note there is a lot of yelling in curling, and you've been on record saying sometimes you think it it doesn't get the respect it deserves. So today we're going to correct that. But I, I think maybe, Noel, first we got to talk about some of the some of the rules. I had no idea how this stuff worked until honestly, until I started hanging out with Max. Totally. No, me neither. Um, And again, because it's one of these things where, you know, baseball, you can kind of get it, 
watching it for a little while uh, with mm-hmm. a little bit of background knowledge. Football, maybe a little less so. I still don't understand quite how football works. What is a down? I don't even know. Somebody write us and let me know. But curling, it, it's it's this very interesting, almost ritualistic activity. And it is a little hard to kind of suss what is going on. So we're going to do you all a solid and give you a, a curling 101 straight from the NBC Olympics website, actually, is, uh, is the source Max found for this. And uh, they, they should know. Because it's uh, one of the most popular uh, Winter Olympic sports um, in the game. Yeah, yeah. So everybody throws two stones in a game. There, there aren't any people who only sweep. There aren't any any people who only throw stones. The stones are pretty heavy too. Don't think of a hockey puck. These bad boys are like forty two pounds. They're pure granite. I always thought the stones were a little more bluesy than heavy, Ben. <laughs> To be mm-hmm. never mind. Yeah, it's a music joke. Yeah. It was a music joke. Yes, thank you. <laughs> so the uh the these teams, like we said, they take turns throwing these stones down the sheet of ice, which is about 150 feet or traditionally. And then what they're what they're trying to do is like it's almost like that game where you toss a coin at a wall or a baseboard and try to get closest to the wall. Or maybe it's almost like cornhole, if if you guys remember that. Uh, they're trying to get the stones inside these circular rings that are called the house. The house. The house of the sliding rings, so they call that. That would be the name of the kung fu movie or the folk song about curling. You know, it reminds me a lot. You're right about the corn, cornhole, um, which is a name with the, so silly that I, I hate to even say it out loud. Uh, it is fun, though. It's fun, you know, backyard game. Um, can fold up into a nice little portable suitcase situation with all your bags and your little your hole. Um, but I think of, Max, I wanted to check you on this um, game called Patonk, uh, also known as Bocce Ball, where it's about it's about proximity to a peg. So is, there's, a, there's like a, a rash of these backyard kind of proximity games or like horseshoes where you can knock somebody else's thing. And the closest with the slidiness of it all, I always associate curling with shuffleboard. Yeah. Yes. You know, you actually got like the examples we give to people when they're asking is like scoring wise, it's bocce ball, Um, like play style, like what it looks like is shuffleboard. But actually, Ben, I really like yours about cornhole because that's that's really good. The only difference is cornhole is scored differently. Bocce ball score wise is the closest. Mm, All right. And and we know that there are uh, when it comes to curling, there are a couple of very key beginning rules. First rule, don't talk about curling. Kidding. First rule is first rule for the is, longest time. Nobody did. That was a rule that was not a problem until 1998 came around and changed the game. Mm-hmm. We're about to get we're we may be in danger from big curling, folks. This might be the stuff they don't want you to know. Different show. The the first rule is the rings mark how close your stone is to that sweet spot in the middle. They don't mark how much your shot is worth. So every stone inside that ring is worth one point. And this means that if a stone is barely touching the furthest circle, it is still worth the same amount of points as a stone directly in the middle, directly on the button. Can we just say to you, you you just said it, Ben, like in the way people would say it as a phrase, but on the button, you ever heard someone say that for like getting something just right? Max, you think that's a curling reference or is uh, or, or is it just kind of like parallel? Parallel thing. I have no idea, so I'm going to say it's a curling reference. Okay. Everything comes from curling. <laughs> I love that. Everything love Max, Max has said. Forth. 
ever yes. is a curling reference that we just didn't get for like years, <laughs> which is reframing some conversations. So each game, you know, I, I'm talking about downs. I know what a down is, guys. I'm just oh, 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 playing up my sports idiocy. But uh, an end is what it's called in uh, curling. It's sort of like an inning in baseball or I guess, well, I guess in football, there's a quarter and then the quarter is, is divided into downs. Is that right? Downs are like the thing. First down, second down, third down. And that's the end of the quarter. Am I right about that, Max? Kind uh, of. It's, yeah, it's like a, a down is... Football makes no sense. Yeah, okay, football thank you. makes I love at least, it. At least, yeah. okay, at least it, we agree It makes no sense, and it does have, by the way, uh, a dubious fact about American football. It has the worst commercial to-play ratios of any sport uh, in, in history by a wide margin. But a down is like when a team has possession of a ball. Uh, so if Team Max... Max, just pick an animal. It doesn't matter. Uh, bobcats. Okay, so if the Maximilian Bobcats are uh, playing the Casey Labouches and the Bobcats have the ball and they're trying to they're trying to get to the end zone and make a score, then they can. They, they, it's kind of like they get four chances to get it across the field. If they like, if they fumble or they like get you know fifteen yards forward before they get tackled, then that's like first down. And rinse and right, but aren't aren't the aren't the aren't the, isn't the game delineated into a series? I mean, if that's their chances, then it goes to the other side, and then they get a number of chances, and then that ends a portion of the game. Or are they unrelated? So it's time based. Football is kind of a conglomeration of multiple like sports as rules and stuff. It's a yeah. later sport, so it's got a lot. Like you can see, like got a lot of like soccer, and then like other sports who have evolved from soccer, like hockey and stuff like that. Mm -hmm. But it's it's all a metaphor for war anyways. Yeah, I'm saying this as a football fan. It's a metaphor for yeah, war. Yeah, it's true. Well, it's Napoleonic warfare. And I think maybe that's why football is so popular, but also like why it doesn't do it for me. And the more I read about curling, Max, and the more, I mean, I give you a little guff about it uh, out of love, but it just seems like a pretty chill, peaceful kind of sport. Like, I mean, because you're you're helping each other out. It's team-based. You're not really fighting each other. You're just fighting against the the ice, you know, and gravity. It seems meditative, which I yes. think is what I like about it. So once all these shots have been thrown, you get to the scoring portion. You calculate scores by looking at the closest stones to the button. Whichever team has the closest shot to the center gets one point. And if that team has the second closest shot, they get two points. And if they have the third closest, they get three and on and on. But if the opposing team has a shot closer, then... That's where scoring stops. So, like, if Team Ghostbusters got the the closest thing, they would get a point. But then, if their opponent, Team Police Academy, had the second closest, they would just get one point. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. 
kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com, where America goes to hire. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Mint Mobile. You know, Ben, I got to say, one of the best parts of a spring cleaning is that post-clean clarity you get where you're like, man, how have I been living like this? What's wrong with me? <laughs> you're right, Noel. It's, it's kind of like when you find out you've been paying a fortune for wireless when Mint Mobile has phone plans for 15 bucks a month when you purchase a three-month plan. It's time to switch to Mint Mobile and get unlimited talk, text, and data for 15 bucks a month. To get this new customer offer and your new three-month unlimited wireless plan for just 15 bucks a month, go to mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. That's mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. Cut your wireless bill to 15 bucks a month at mintmobile.com slash ridiculous. $45 upfront payment required, equivalent to $15 a month. New customers on first three-month plan only. Speed slower above 40 gigabytes on unlimited plan. Additional taxes, fees, and restrictions apply. See Mint Mobile for details. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah, um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool. I, yeah, I, I just remember it was my dad's. I, I was a hand me down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car, and I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know. I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a, that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I, meant, <laughs> I said El Camino and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it. So uh, the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. But it, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. We were talking off air. Uh, some of our fellow ridiculous historians may be saying, Guys, what's what's the history here? You're telling us about the rules of curling, and I think you're doing a great job. Hopefully, that's what you're saying to us. Uh, but what what about the history? I suggest we take just a second for a moment with Max here. Max, let's do some personal ridiculous history. How did you get involved in this whole curling thing to begin with? Wait, did you invent curling? No, uh, curling very much predates me 
you and even Noel and even Matt, mm-hmm. like, you know, way before us. Yeah. But, um, so I am like from Atlanta. This is my home, but I was actually born in Detroit. I moved here when I was six. And here's the thing about living in Detroit, at least in the nineties is you got Canadian public television. What do you think Canadian public television showed all the time? Curling. Getting kids in the hall reruns. Probably. I, I was going to oh, say yeah, lots of kids in the hall. Yeah. Maple syrup kids in the hall. Yeah, we got the entire box set like a room over from here. But um, <laughs> like I remember like watching curling as a kid and being like, oh, this is so cool. Then I moved down to Atlanta and then there was nothing. Like, no one had even heard of it. I mean, granted, there's not really ice sports down in Atlanta. If for people who don't know, Atlanta is really hot. And so, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's just been something, especially because of the Olympics. And then it's like, you know, got more popular in like the 2000s and the 2010s got more popular. And that, then I was just like, yeah, let's get into the sport. Why don't we try to figure out how to play this sport? All right, Max. Now that we have a little bit of your personal curling history, which I, I don't know, it's just you guys, you, your family, man, I'll tell you, you and your brother Alex, who composed this bang and bop, uh, your parents, you're all like very interesting people who have very interesting and sort of off the beaten path hobbies and, and interests. I mean, your brother uh, has a whole podcast about that called Ephemeral that you work on. It's just about like just odd pieces of esoterica throughout culture and history and things that would otherwise kind of go unnoticed. You and your family are people that notice that kind of stuff. And I think it's really cool. And this is a great example. Uh, it would take us special person to see such a strange and, and uh, esoteric kind of sport that on the onset doesn't seem particularly inviting and be like, no, I'm going to find a way to make this inviting. This is, this speaks to me in some way. Um, so kudos for that. But you wrote up this amazing, we're trying to, trying to invite people into the world of curling by starting off with getting your head around some of the rules. And Max, you wrote up this amazing scenario, uh, the scenario to, to, to quiz terrify it, uh, about like how, how a, a round of play would go. Uh, can you walk us through that? And we'll kind of, we'll, we'll help. We'll chime in as needed, but you've got some very fun little hypothetical uh, team, team names that I think will help everyone really get, get an understanding of how this goes down. All right. So here I'm going to set it up real quick. So let's say we have two teams. We have a uh, team Noel. And we have Team Ben. So Team Noel, there's four people, remember, on these teams. There's just four slightly d- different versions of Noel. So we got Nerdy Noel. We got a Biker Noel. We got an Invisible Noel. And we have a Wizard Noel. And now we look over at Team Ben. It's just four identical Bens. Like, these are completely the same, all same, except maybe very different hats or something like that. <laughs> you know? Yeah, each of Ben's hat incarnations. Ben's Ben's sort of like a multi-hat kind of dude anyway. So it could be each one of his like hat forms, right? There's the 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 what do you ball think of this, hat. Ben? There's yeah, Ben, please. What's oh, your other one? You got, you so, got so. a really nice um kind of newsy hat you wear sometimes that I, I really like. Sure. Yes, and let's go for it. So there's <laughs> uh so okay, so these these guys are head to head. They've played their first round, right? Or excuse me, first end. First end, yes. And so after the first end, Team Noel has like the first and the second closest shot to the center. So at the end of this, we total it up and boom, two points for Team Noel. But now we're going to go to the second end. Now here at the end of the second end, Team Ben has the closest shot, the third closest shot, the fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth, and ninth closest shot. But Team Noel, after a magical shot by Wizard Noel. Uh-huh. We don't know how he did it, but it was just... Uh, I just made a sound effect. I just said pew, and, and everything just kind of fell into place. Right. And so now he lies the second closest shot. So that's not eight points for Team Ben. That is just one point because it is the order or the shot rock. Whoever has the, the closest shot rock gets the point. Whoever has the second 
gets two points. But if, as soon as the other team has a closer shot than any of your other shots, bam, cuts off the scoring right there. Now, isn't that how it goes in shuffleboard too? Or no, um, or, or maybe it's in bocce ball. There, I, I know there's like you, you mentioned the scoring being similar to one of those games, and now I'm completely spacing on which one it was. But that sounds familiar to bocce ball. It's bocce ball. Okay, so you kind of line up those shots, and the moment somebody gets a superior shot to all of those ones that are laying on the field, then that is the one that takes precedent. That is the one right. that like takes mm. the, the cake. And uh, I have a question for you, Max. Is it is it possible to knock? other rocks out of the way yes it is you can very much do so i mean there are certain rules like the free guard zone so like certain shots early on in the end you can't take those out because those are set up to like you know stimulate like like scoring and make the game more exciting and more strategic but let's just say noel has a shot in a spot where you want it you can take Noel's shot out and put your rock right there okay so we've and we've seen this happen with other other similar games we've described you also have a pretty comprehensive list of rules and roles, uh, which we can we can dive into maybe along the way. Before you do that, can Ben, can you tell me what other hats your your clones were wearing? I just I have to know. I want to picture this. Sure. Yeah. Uh, one is a astronaut helmet. One is a Jason Voorhees mask, but it's put up. You know, uh-huh. uh, so it that, technically qualifies. qualifies as a hat. Okay, so we've got, we got, we're four players, right? Four players per team, which we're going get, to get into with the roles in a second. So uh, we've got the lead, the second, the vice skip, and the skip. I'm going to say that baseball hat Ben is the lead, newsy hat Ben is the second, astronaut helmet Ben is the vice skip, and the skip is Jason Voorhees' uh, top of head hat wearing Ben. So right. um, these are, these are all important roles, and they all do those things as their sort of title, but they also are shooters too, right, Max? Correct. Yes, everyone shoots two stones. You kind of go in that way, and each person has like a different objective with what they're trying to do. So like the lead is trying to set up and like, you know, build out for strategy, while like the second and vice skip are more like, okay, we got to either correct missed shots from previous people or, you know, mess with the other team's strategy because you can't let the other team get ahead. And then the skip at the very end is like, okay, I have to fine-tune this so our strategy can do this or bail out the team. Mm. So it's kind of all of them like that. And everyone does different things. Like some people sweep, some people call shots, some people sweep and call shots at the vice skip. It's a lot. It's a lot going on. Also, the uh, I like how you noted the second is, in one curler's opinion, the bag man of the team. Is that curler you? Is it your opinion? <laughs> I, I mean, I'm not going to say who this one curler that we're always getting an opinion from is, but, you know, it may or may not be me. I will not deny, but I will not confirm. Bagman, meaning you're like carrying water for the whole team or like you're you're the guy that's sort of like cannon fodder or something. No, no, like, no. no. You, know, okay. you can always trust the bagman to do the ah, job right. To do the job. I see, I see, I see, I see. Mm-hmm. I think my understanding of what a bagman actually means is, is always fluctuating over time. The skip, though, I like because the idea it, it makes me think of like a skipper, like like the captain of a ship. And, uh, you know, this is a vaguely water adjacent sport. You are on water. It just happens to be frozen and you're sailing kind of a vessel, you know, in the stone. So, I'm, I mean, maybe you don't know, but uh, do you think is the skip referring to the action of play, like skipping a rock or something like that? Or is the skip sh- like the skipper reference, like someone who's directing and guiding, you know, a, a team? I would probably say it's the latter. I think it probably comes from that. That would make the most Ooh. sense to me. 
Yeah, there's a there are many other factors that play into this. There are a lot of other rules like the clock, the hog line, player substitutions, etc., uh, including the free guard zone that you had you had mentioned earlier, Max. But we've given you the basics here, so uh, now we're going to dive into the history. Despite the rumors that are everywhere on Twitter and the internet, uh, Max Williams, by his own admission, did not invent curling. <laughs> it was, uh, according to the World Curling Federation, uh, it is, like we said, one of the oldest extant team sports. Uh, you can see references to it all the way back in like paintings from Flemish folks such as Peter Briegel. In one of his paintings in particular, there's a frozen pond with people playing on it. Most of them are ice skating. But if you look at the toward the bottom of the painting, you'll see there are people who have what are clearly curling rocks and they're throwing them down the ice. And sometimes that's the way we get historical context is in paintings, little images of things that were like enough in the parlance uh, of a period that they were worthy to be incorporated into a beautiful scene of, uh, you know, uh, outdoorsy um, frolicking and whatnot. We also have early written examples of curling from the literary work of the Scottish writer John McQuinn. He wrote a protocol book uh, where he recorded a challenge between John Sclater, who was a monk at an abbey, uh, and Gavin Hamilton, who represented the abbot. Uh, and not much is known about the actual match, how things, you know, turned out. But it is known that Sclater apparently threw a rock or a stone down a sheet of ice three times and then asserted that he was ready. That's that's the the uh, impression that we got. Uh, yeah, and it makes sense. Like, if you're in a part of the world where you have where water freezes, you know, uh, seasonally, people start to figure out ways of enjoying it, whether it be like, you know, attaching uh, steel blades to the bottoms of shoes like the Dutch or like cutting holes in the ice to, to try to catch fish. You know, you, you realize like skipping a stone down a creek that you can slide a stone on a frozen creek or a frozen lake or a frozen pond. And then, you know, humans like to make things more complicated and start to institute rules and all of that stuff. And like the oral tradition of anything, you start getting variations and things that start to get picked up. And when people start to kind of adopt the the uh, the ones they like the best and the winners kind of rise to the top in terms of like the rules. And then before you know it, you got yourself sport. Right. Yeah. And this is a bit of a mysterious sport because like a lot of old sports, uh, there are controversies and contradicting claims about its genesis. Uh, we don't know a ton about the early beginnings now, but it's widely believed Scotland is the birthplace of the sport. Scotland is definitely home to the first recognized curling clubs, right? Associations of curling enthusiasts. The two big ones are the Kilsyth Curling Club. They say they're the oldest uh, and their pond or their club was established in 1716, but people have been playing there since the uh, 1500s. And then there's the Kinross Curling Club who disagrees. They were established in 1668, and they say they're one of the oldest, if not the oldest. So if those two groups ever play matches together, I imagine that rivalry is legendary. Uh, it is true, though. It's, it's a very old sport. It didn't actually have formal rules for a long time, for a couple right. of centuries, right? It was like uh, house rules or this is how we play it at our pond. 
Yeah, I mean, even today, there are, like, regional or just different kind of, like, variations of, like, simple card games. And, of course, for a game like Curling, that was very much founded based on conditions in certain parts of the world, that makes absolute sense. So, in 1838, we started to see a bit more of a codification of the rules of curling. When we saw the Grand Caledonian Curling Club, uh, that's a mouthful, uh, become kind of the authority on curling in the same way you might have like the NCAA or whatever, you know, different divisions of, of basketball or, or football, you know, uh, again, I'm, I don't even know which one that is uh, because I'm not a sports guy, but uh, the GCCC or G triple C is how I'm going to say it, uh, is that thing for curling. And it was established in Edinburgh, Scotland in 1838. The G triple C really did later. I mean, again, early on, it certainly helped establish like, you know, unified sets of rules, but it really did become the kind of end all be all epicenter of the curling universe. Uh, in 1842, they put on a formal curling demonstration for Queen Victoria and she was delighted and amused. She was so amazed by the performance that next year she gave the club her permission to change the name to the Royal Caledonian Curling Club. Instead of Grand, she could get an upgrade to Royal. And honestly, we probably could do a whole episode on this club alone. They literally have the title, The Mother Club of Curling. That's their historical kind of honorific from the World Curling Federation, which is a thing now that sort of maybe took their place a bit. Uh, but for those who are curious, you can uh, check into their activities to this day uh, on their website, royalcaledoniancurlingclub.org. .org, yeah. And now as people from Scotland begin to move to other parts of the world where there's still cold weather, we see curling become a global phenomenon. We're looking particularly at Scandinavian countries, the U.S., even parts of New Zealand, but no country caught curling fever with quite the same ardor as Canada. Uh, they are believed currently to have over 1,000 separate curling clubs. And uh, by way of contrast, uh, their neighbors to the south, the U.S., has about 185. And that number marks a huge increase over time. This episode of Ridiculous History is brought to you by Snagajob. Snagajob is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring. With access to over 6 million active hourly workers, Snagajob is the all-in-one solution for hiring high-quality employees who can cover all your needs on-demand, temp-to-hire, part-time, or full-time. You name the position. Warehouse worker, retail associate, grocery store clerk, fitness trainer, baker, stylist, bellhop, podcast producer. Yeah, Snagajob's got a worker for that. With their easy-to-use platform, you're able to seamlessly post and fill available positions quickly with a dedicated customer support team to provide all the help you need along the way. Kind of nice knowing you have a talent pool like that in your own backyard, right? Snagajob is the partner you need to keep your business running smoothly. Visit snagajob.com or text snag to 242424 to talk to an expert. Snagajob.com where America goes to hire. This episode is brought to you by eBay Motors. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Noel, do you remember your favorite car? Well, yeah. Um, it was a uh, an Eddie Bauer edition Ford Explorer. Oh, that's and cool, I, yeah. I, I just remember, it was my dad's. I, I was a hand-me-down car kind of kid. Dad would buy a new car, I'd get that car. And I just remember feeling so awesome being up above everybody, like I was mm. in Mad Max or something, you know? 
I had a lot of uh, land yachts that I loved. I had Pontiac yeah. Bonnevilles. Right. Oh, I never had an El Camino. My dad had one. And that was a that was a real interesting use of our collective time, keeping that thing running. But I think these cars all kind of speak to us because they were such a fundamental part of our lives. Do you remember when I had that Monte Carlo? That's what I meant. I meant I said El Camino <laughs> and I met Monte Carlo. I miss it so uh the Monte Carlo was tough. I had a series of Monte Carlos and the last one, God bless it. I just, I, I had to learn a lot about car maintenance just to keep that guy running. Totally. It, it still was like a, a perfect fit. It's almost like finding your true love. Uh, you know, like when you recently got a car a few years back now, Oh, man. And funny you should say that. That particular perfect fit was the Honda Fit, which I love dearly. But, Ben, it's getting a little long in the tooth. And while it's been incredibly reliable up to now, it's getting to that age where I might have to start looking for some parts here and there to keep it running. Mm -hmm. And that's where eBay Motors comes in. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly. Brake kits, LED headlights, roof racks, bumpers, whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. So keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Tired of not being able to get a hold of anyone when you have questions about your credit card? With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yes, you heard that right. You can talk to a human on the Discover customer service team anytime. So the next time you have a question about your credit card, call 1-800-DISCOVER to get the service you deserve. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. We said earlier, the Olympics brought curling to even more of a international stage in 1998 when they became an official sport there. But it wasn't the first time the Olympics actually featured curling. In 1924, there was a, a kind of exhibition men's curling competition. Just for anybody who likes to hold a, a regional Olympic grudge, Great Britain got the gold, Sweden got silver, and France got the bronze. These medals would later be awarded in 2006. It took them a second. Just say it took him a second. And, you know, ridiculous history. We're the last people to talk about uh, doing things a little late. We celebrate birthdays about four months later. We'll get to a Christmas episode sometime in June. We get it. Uh, but I, I wanted to ask, Max, do you know why there was this? What, did Was this like a retroactive reward or award ceremony? Yeah, I think it was. If I remember when I was reading it on the World Curling Federation's website, it was like kind of an exhibition sport deemed at the time. It was like, we're just showing this off. But then later on, they deemed it was actually a full sport at, at that Olympics. And I, I don't think demonstration or exhibitions formally get medals usually, mm. or at least at that time they didn't. So they were recognized retroactively as legit in the Olympics at that time. And there are all sorts of sports in the Olympics that aren't maybe common spectator sports. Outside of that, right? Like there's, it, you're rarely going to see a local pole vaulting club do a bunch of, you know, like have a big to do. 
But the opposite is true as well. There are a lot of very popular sports that aren't really part of the Olympics. And not being in the Olympics doesn't necessarily stop a sport's popularity, right? We know that in 1959, Scotland and Canada formed what they called the Scotch Cup. Uh, which is <laughs> tasty. <laughs> you guys fans of Scotch eggs? I Yeah, it's a good, yeah, what's not to like? You know, I used to be weirded out by uh, hard boiled eggs when I was younger. Um, I think it's just something that happens if you get older. You just start to like hard, hard boiled eggs. And what's not to like with wrapping it in sausage and deep frying it? Jeez Louise. I mean, frying things fixes them. That's true in most situations. I think a scotch cup is just a cup of scotch, though. That's my. Okay. <laughs> right on. I like my scotch in this. In this old plastic cup from the Olympics. I still have a cup from the uh, 1996 Olympics. My parents just paid so much for it. I felt like we couldn't throw it away. Does it have Izzy on it? Was that his name? The weird little it guy? It does. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it does. That little whatchamacallit of an idea. Yes. Yeah. Uh, uh, the, uh, for anyone that doesn't isn't in the know, Atlanta hosted the Olympics that year. And then we, like, I don't know. They probably paid somebody a gazillion dollars to design this stupid little blue cartoon character named Izzy that was like this little, yay, look at me, can-do spirit kind of little pixie or something. And just, oh. It was, uh, yeah. In one defense, they told the designer they wanted it to be something that no one would know what it is. Mm -hmm. That was purposeful. And incorporating and all the... we still don't know what it is. Yeah. I don't think right. the designer knows. But, but you know, as mascots go, this guy was uh, not the worst mascot. Anyhow, he probably didn't play curling because those were not Winter Olympics. Still, uh, it's a tough job to make a mascot. And it's a tough job to play any sort of sport. We do want to note that there are several different, I guess you would say, types of curling, right? Specialization. There's team curling that has uh, all male teams, all female identified teams, juniors. There's uh, wheelchair curling. And then there are what are called mixed doubles. So this is definitely a sport that a lot of people can get into and expect to do reasonably well, right? Which I, I would say also makes it different from something like professional basketball or professional football. It sure seems like it. I mean, it doesn't require, you know, feats of strength exactly. It's more feats of uh, restraint, right? It's like more about um, knowing exactly how much oomph to give the thing when you're pushing it. And then, I mean, obviously it takes a little energy to scrub that ice as you go. But Max, what do you think? Is this a more accessible sport than, say, bobsledding or, you know, downhill slaloming? Oh, yes, most definitely. I mean, all you need for the sport is... It's kind of like a will, a want, and just, just to experiment with it. And people are always like, what type of shoe should I wear? Like, do I need special shoes? It's like, nope, normal shoes. Yeah, you go to like any club. You're like, do you need a broom? Do you need, do you need? the funniest ones I, I get asked is like, do I need to bring my own stones? <laughs> it's like eight of them for a team, the 42 pounds a piece. No, you don't have to bring your own stones. Nice. Yeah. Also, uh, no special shoes. Take that bowling. That would be the other, that would be another sport where people would say you don't have to be a certain body type to succeed. But we can't conclude this episode without answering some of the big, big questions. These are questions I asked you very early on, Max, when I found out about your fascination. Why is the sport called curling? Other than describing the name, we haven't explained this at all. So the reason why it's called curling is because when you throw the stone, you either turn the handle to the left or to the right or clockwise, counterclockwise, however you wish to prefer that. And that causes the stone to curl that direction. 
So it's not like you're just throwing stones straight. So let's say there's a guard stone in the front of the in front of the house, blocking stones behind it. You can draw behind it. You can curl behind it so that you sit your stone behind that. Sure. Or, it, I mean, it's very similar in this English, aspect. English, right? Putting English on a pool yeah. ball or, or putting spin on the, you know any other kind of ball. And that's and I was actually about to reference pool. It's very similar in that aspect where it's about angles. How can I bounce these angles and position my stones? I mean, what's really funny about the curling is it actually doesn't make any sense. Because if you think about physics, if it curls, if you're trying to curl it to the right, it would go to the left. So curling stones actually go the opposite direction of what they should. And no one actually knows the answer to this. Is it because they're imbued with wizard magic? Probably. I mean, and here's the funny thing is you ask a curler, like, oh, why, why does it do this? It's like, I don't know. As long as it curls the way I want it to go, then that's fine. Yeah. Okay. We're that's chill fascinating. Back, folk. Got, it. <laughs> Got it. And also it's cool that if you try to throw a stone straight with no no spin on it, no curl, no English, then it won't go straight. It'll just sort of go where the ice wants, uh, which is nuts because there is a lot of science to this. And that gets us to our next big question. What's the deal with the sweeping? I feel like I'm in 60 minutes. What's the deal with sweeping and curling? So the reason why you sweep is curling ice is different from like hockey ice or like figure skating ice because that's just like flat, Smooth, perfect ice. You try to throw a curling stone on that, it would go like three feet and stop. And it would go a little further than that, but it wouldn't go well. So what you do in curling is you like take these like little this little device. It looks like a ghost buster like backpack. And you put it on your back and you spray these little like pebbles of of ice on the sheet. So it makes very little dots. And that's what the curling rock slides on. I see. And so the reason why you sweep is if you sweep it, you're melting those little pebbles causing there to be even less friction for your stone to go over. So it goes faster. As it's going faster, it has less time to curl. So it goes straighter also. Oh, okay. So let's say you have to get around a guard. You sweep it, sweep it, sweep it, sweep it. You get past the guard, you take off, and it just slowly curls behind it. Interesting. Okay, so those folks who are sweeping are doing something. It's not performance art. They're not, like, making some commentary on the Industrial Revolution. I always assumed they were doing something to uh, help guide the path of it or to like even like by 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 sweeping in a certain direction or at a certain angle, they could change the direction of the stone. Is that accurate or no? So they claim they can do that, but it's been a common joke that directional sweeping doesn't actually work. I mean, you heard I heard a lot in this past Olympics like, oh, they're sweeping on that side for the directional. And I think maybe at like Olympic level with semi-professional curlers, there's no such thing really as a professional curler. And like, but like professionally maintained ice, you may be able to do it. But like you go to a local curling club, there's no way in hell you are going to be able to direct it with your sweeping. Okay. Unless you're somebody who like has a practice ice sweeping rink at your house. Right. Okay. All right. Goals 2023. Let's make it happen. When we wrap this episode up, maybe we take this history into the future. And maybe there are some of our fellow ridiculous historians who are asking, well, this sounds cool. How can I start to become a, a curler, a curlsman, a curl folk myself? Curler. Curler. Okay. Curls folk, I, I like, but I, I respect your expertise here, Max. So these, uh, you mentioned there are these clubs that people can join what, how, how do you how do you get involved? What's going on? Well, I mean, so like people think like, oh, there's probably no curling clubs. There's 185 of them, I believe. That's what USA Curling says across the United States. And obviously like Minnesota, 
uh, Michigan, <laughs> New York, Maine. They got a lot of them. But that does not mean that like here in like, the warmer states are excluded. So there's three clubs in Tennessee. There's actually four in Florida and there's seven in California, including three in Los Angeles. There's a lot of them. Wow. And, you know, without without putting you two on the spot, rumor has it there's even a curling club here in our fair metropolis of Atlanta, Georgia. Yes, there is. There is the Atlanta Curling Club located here in our fair metropolis, as you have said. And they curl at the Atlanta Ice Forum. And Ben, I'll let you take the honors here. You can read this next line I have in the brief. <laughs> it may or may not have been co-founded by our lovely super producer, the one, the amazing, the self-described ungodly Maxwell James William the First. I think we need oh a sound cue. Yeah. Oh, you just, you just, you just full name, Max. <laughs> I love that. Is he in trouble? No, <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that, yeah. that's a quote from him. Also, I like adding the first there. That's classy. First of his name, Maxwell. I'm gonna start using that. But yeah, and also, if you're ever interested, you can just go to USA Curling, and they have a find the club toolkit, which will show you the closest one. If you're near any big metropolitan area, there's probably a curling club near you, and you too can uh, become a part of the spirit of curling which is a, a very important concept uh, unique to the sport. I mean, it's not unique to the sport. It's called the spirit of curling. It's unique, but it, it embodies, you know, the idea of uh, respect to one another, of, of people that are playing the sport, but also to the sport itself. It's about skill and tradition, uh, about executing shots well, about taking joy in others and uh, in, in, in their success. So I really, really is kind of, I like the fact that you're playing, against other teams but not like head-to-head -head, like you know mm -hmm. clashing you're just sort of doing your own thing and then it all comes out in the wash in terms of the uh, the scoring uh the, this is all from uh, the world curling federation by the way that they describe the spirit of curling thusly true curler never attempts to distract opponents nor to prevent them from playing their best it would prefer to lose rather than to win unfairly Curlers never knowingly break a rule of the game nor disrespect any of its traditions. Should they become aware that this has been done inadvertently, they would be the first to divulge the breach. Which is really, you know, wholesome. And you can see this in curling games where the opposing team will congratulate their rivals on a really well done move. The every everybody on the uh, everybody on the ice will have that oh snap cool moment, which doesn't happen all the time in other sports. So that's one of the reasons I think uh, that we are, or at least I am, a newly converted fan of curling, and we hope that you enjoyed today's episode, folks. This may this may have been a little longer than usual, but. Uh, a lot of love went into this one, a lot of and a lot of research too. So for that, we have to start by thanking the super producer, the man, the myth, the legend, lover of sports, lover of trains, curling, and Star Trek, Mr. Max Williams. It has been an honor. Yes, it's been an honor as well. It's been a lot of fun. Uh, you know, anytime I get a chance to talk about curling, I like to take advantage of that. <laughs> I know you do, buddy. And now I at least am armed with the knowledge to be able to properly engage with you on this um, on this topic. So, thank so you next time you won't go to sleep while the U.S. is playing in a gold medal match? What? I'm sorry. Yes, true story. One story I want to leave us with before we finally end this. Back in 2018, the United States won their only gold medal in curling. 
It's when the John Schuster-led team upset the favorite Sweden for the gold medal. This was during the infamous hot tub trip, Ben. Mm-hmm. This is the cabin trip. Mr. Noel Brown, this is the trip he drank that whiskey that he apologized for on Tuesday's episode. He was there. The opportunity was there, but he opted for sleep. Granted, it was in Korea at the time, and it was very, very, very early in the morning when I was watching this. But it was a magical night. Magical night indeed. So ashamed. Uh, not really ashamed at all. I do not recall any of this, Max, but I, I, I believe your recollection, at least when curling's involved. Uh, and I do apologize for drinking that fine bottle of whiskey, but it was good and probably contributed to my sleepiness. Uh, not going to lie. I ended up drinking the rest of it while, during the match myself. <laughs> it must have been an awesome uh, brunch moment a few hours later. Uh, with this, we also, of course, want to thank our composer, Mr. Alex Williams. Check out uh, his show with his brother, Max Ephemeral, when you get a chance. Thanks to Eve's Jeffcoat. Thanks to Christopher Hasiotis. And thanks to Jonathan Strickland. I think this, I think participating in curling could probably do a lot for that guy emotionally. I know. He's really angry. He's just so angry. We'll see you next time, folks. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. With every CBD product claiming to do something different, it's nearly impossible to decide what's best for you. Lazarus Naturals pioneered the farm-to-front-door model of transparency where they handle each step of the production process to ensure quality, potency, and consistency. Scannable labels allow you to see the test results of your hemp batch so you can be confident in the safety and quality. Visit LazarusNaturals.com today. Lazarus Naturals, committed to improving your life as well as the world around you. Not available in Idaho, Iowa, or South Dakota. With the new Dexcom G7, you can achieve better diabetes results without painful finger sticks. It sends your glucose numbers to your compatible phone or watch so you can always see where you are and where you're heading. See how food and exercise affects your glucose, making it easier to spend more time in range and lower your A1C. Take more control of your diabetes with the number one recommended CGM brand. It's easy to get started today at Dexcom.com. That's Dexcom.com. Dexcom data on file 2023. If your glucose alerts and readings from the G7 do not match symptoms or expectations, use a blood glucose meter to make diabetes treatment decisions. For a list of compatible devices, visit Dexcom.com slash compatibility. Happy Pride from Tomboy X. Celebrating pride in the queer community all year. Queer founded, queer run, and the makers of the original boxer briefs for women. Creating sustainable size and gender inclusive underwear, swimwear, and loungewear for all bodies so you feel comfortable in your own skin. Tomboy X just dropped their Pride 24 collection. Obsessively fit tested for all day comfort in sizes three extra small through six X. Visit TomboyX.com.